BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This Ben Jarofsky show, Benny J bonus interview is brought to you in part by the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 in District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. Bonus to have on the Ben Jarofsky show as I speak. It's Tuesday, December 17th, but of course you're listening to this anytime. As we always do in bonus features with the Ben Jarofsky show, I ask my distinguished guests to inter- introduce themselves, him or herself, in this case himself. Distinguished bonus guest, introduce yourself. I'm Mark Bazer. Uh, I host the interview show, which we do at The Hideout, and it's on WTTW. And we're back for our fifth season on starting January 3rd. It's Fridays at 8.30 p.m. And does bonus mean, like, really good, or does it mean, like, leftover? Uh, that that <laughs> is the better. Or... <laughs> well, you know, it's funny you should say that, because last week's bon- one of last week's bonus guests, Marge Halpern, when... Uh, when I had her on, she was talking about uh, Indivisible and what she had. It, what they were going to try to do to uh, defeat Donald Trump in states like Wisconsin and Michigan. Anyway, I told her, you're going to be a bonus guest. And she, she immediately, her instinctive reaction was like that was somehow less than being a guest on the quote unquote real show. And I'm like, no, it's just downloaded. Just. It's condescending. Yeah, okay. Bonus. <laughs> it's like yours. It sounds so good. It's like giving me a sticker. Uh, well, I know uh, I'm happy to be here. I'm uh, excited. Yeah, maybe we should rethink the names. It's now two different guests. Go, I don't like bonus. Uh, we should just let our the <laughs> guests run our show. By the way, I have here. to say this about the interview show. We uh, we're still doing first Tuesdays at the hideout, even though my beloved my beloved old partner Mick Dumpke decided he couldn't take another minute couldn't of it. Take the pressure. <laughs> he said, I, "I'm out of here." Too much pressure at the Too hideout. Too much pressure. Those hideout shows. <laughs> so Mick dropped the bomb on me, uh, and uh, he just said he had to move on with it. He gave what a good it, run, though. He, he gave it a great listen, man. He wanted to spend more time with his family. All right, that's uh, what he told his, me. I think. His, his records. <laughs> his records. So anyway, he moved on, and we're still doing the show. Maya Tukmasova uh, has. Uh, joined me as my uh, partner in crime. But uh, so anyway, so last first Tuesday, which was the first Tuesday of December, uh, Timmy Tutton, uh, the uh, co-owner of the hideout, was introducing us. And you know how Timmy Tutton does a great... And then, uh, and then uh, and he goes, without further ado, the interview show. No. I'm like, are you for real? No. Well, I, I mean, I love the interview show, but... I'll I'm take the plug. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it was great. We I saw you the other day at the hideout, and Tim uh, sent out an email that there was some there was going to be some feature in the, the Tribune, and they were taking a photo of they wanted to take a photo of the hideout community, and the story I guess is about the community that has arose around the hideout and that how that's indicative of a great Chicago community, which I agree with. And what was great about it is I was like, yeah, I'll come, and then I, in my idiocy, was like, I hope people show up, and then I get there, and there's. <laughs> Everybody that he emailed shows up, and yeah. it's just like what a testament that is to the power of 
of them. Yeah, no, uh, I tease him, but uh, I love Timmy T and uh, his wife and the whole gang at the hideout. Uh, they've been uh, to uh, they were very good to Mick and me. They gave us that show, you know, brought us on stage, and a lot of good things happened from first Tuesday. So you're absolutely correct. I think that was a testament to the love people have for uh, uh, the hideout. There's, you're right. There were I don't know 40 people showed up for that photo. Yeah, pe- and people like big time people. Like I don't know. I mean, Nora O'Connor was there, and uh, Sue Tweedy was there, and there were a lot of you people. were there, and I was a bonus. <laughs> yeah, and Dennis a, was there. I was a bonus guest there. <laughs> You know what I'm going to uh, do next show? I'm going to ask him to introduce my show as, as first, first Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah, it's yeah. the least he could do. It's the least he could do. Uh, yeah. By the way, did that sh- that article run in the Tribune? I don't. Yet? I don't. I know. I, I don't you know so. what? By the way, here yeah. I'm going to tell a little secret here. Uh, so Timmy T said, "Everybody, show up for this photo." Blah blah blah. He never. He, we're going to. Everybody said, "Oh, our picture's going to be in the Tribune." I'm going to show up. Yeah. So uh, we all showed up dutifully uh, to you know to pose in this photo. It's this massive photo. My bet is, if I know the the powers that be at the Tribune, they didn't want that. They just wanted Timmy T and and Katie and the gang that runs the hideout. So they let Tim bring all those people together. They took yeah. a couple pictures, and the, the one they run will not be the group. Yeah. Where there's you, no way that camera could. Have taken everybody. <laughs> there were so many. We people. were spread out forever. They had a little. They had the iPhone. I think it was just. No, you know, right, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. see. We'll see. Whatever. Do you remember in junior high we we had like a thing where they would take a photo of everybody and the cool thing was it was one of those cameras that went yeah. around and people on the left at the beginning of the photo as soon as they were taken would run around to the other side <laughs> so they would be on the other side yeah. of the photo as well uh, I did, you know I'm a little older than you that Mark we how, didn't have that those was how we had fun in the 80s uh, just talking about and it's funny you should mention this I was just talking about the 80s with my uh, last guest who, who's your age roughly came of age in the 80s and I was proclaiming what this is perfect uh, way segue it's the end of a decade we're now moving into the 20s do they call it the tw- we've already had one 20s yeah. it's just like 20s We had the too? roaring 20s. This will be the... the unroaring 20s? Snoring 20? 20s or the... <laughs> I don't know. That's terrible. Uh, but there'll be something. It'll be something not as good as the roaring Roaring 20s. 20s. So whatever it is. Let's call it the 20s. We're, le- we're leaving the teens, going into the 20s. And uh, so I was talking to Troy LaRavier, who uh, was my guest right before you. And he was saying his favorite decade is the 80s, because that's when he became of age. And he was explaining what he uh, what he liked about the 80s, the groups he liked, the actors he liked, the, the culture. It was really a lot of cultural references he graduated in 19 from high school i want to say in 88 i think that's when he graduated from high school do you have a favorite decade yeah i mean i guess i would maybe say the 90s i graduated from high school in 91 um and it felt like the 90s because i'm old or still don't feel like they were that long ago but they were and so that was the age where i felt that i was you know i was an adult i didn't Mm -hmm. feel like i was an adult i was an adult and it was also the decade right before there was email and there was, you know, rudimentary websites, but it was before you felt like you were living your life online, which, you know, maybe I'd like, I probably prefer living my life half online, but there is this nostalgia to the time before that. And it was that, it was the decade when we switched, when you could still write on a typewriter, type on a typewriter, or type on a computer. Mm-hmm. You could still do yeah, long form or not. Like, it was it was that bridge decade in that. And also, the, the Halcyon way of looking back on it is that nothing bad happened. I know that's not true. I know that there were a lot of things that were bad that happened. But it seemed to be before, I mean, it was before September 11th. It was before all the craziness that's happened because of September 11th. It was before... 
you know, I don't have the fondest memories of Bill Clinton, but it was before everybody seemed to be at completely at each other's throats, although I know there was obviously the impeachment and everything like that. I don't know. And I liked the music, and I liked... That's that, really what you're getting at. Yeah. You, you like the music, you like the movies. The, yeah. uh, and that's what Tori's point was, is the, the decade that you come of age is your favorite decade. So my favorite decade is the 70s. I stand by the 70s. It's the greatest decade of all time. And uh, But other people love the 70s. I mean, like, I love the 70s, but I don't love the 70s as, I mean, I was alive, but I don't love the 70s as, as having really lived it like you did. But there's something so cool and dank about the 70s, yeah. kind of. Yeah, no, the 70s, from that uh, perspective, uh, really lives. What about the uh, the decade we're emerging from? I just addressed this issue uh, in a column for the reader. It's the end of the year, so they asked me to sum up the year, and I go, I'll go one step further. I'm going to take a look at the decade. Yeah. Uh, and it's uh, it was kind of an overwhelming task to do so because a lot happened. Uh, in, but the question I, I frame for myself is the one I'm going to ask you right now. Do you think we're better off as a civilization at the end of this decade uh, as opposed to where we started uh, at the start of this decade? So I guess 2010 as yeah. opposed to where we are in 2019. So the, my gut answer is no, of course not. We are, we, it seems like not just the fact of who's president, but it seems like you saw it last week with Brexit. You see this whole... You see, like, it seems like we're on the cusp of disaster. And the only thing that makes you feel better is that we seem to be aware that we're on the cusp of disaster, which hopefully means that we can solve it. But then I wonder, in past disasters, were people also realizing that they were on the cusp of disaster? Probably. I think leading up to World War One, everybody kind of knew that that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was almost inevitable. It's like, oh, we keep doing these things. People keep people keep arguing with each other. You know, heads of kings and queens keep arguing, and eventually something's going to happen, and we don't care that much because we accept that war is inevitable. That was more back then. Um, on the other hand, the positive side would be, just from a purely statistical side, and this is what some people argue, is that we are life expectancy around the world, maybe not in the United States, has gone up. There's more people living out of poverty than ever before. There are, I think, and I don't have them in front of me and I'm not an expert, but there are statistical uh, indicators that life has never been better for humanity. Mm-hmm. So all that said, though, like we <laughs> live in America, we live in Chicago. Um, it feels worse, right? It feels worse. Yeah, it, it feels worse. And uh, on the other hand, when I really thought about it, uh, and this is, uh, I think, Mark, sort of a reflection of where I am right now and the books I'm reading and what I'm thinking about, uh, the seeds of where we are now uh, were planted 10 years ago in many ways. Maureen Dowd for the New York Times wrote a really good column this Sunday, which I've been urging people to read. I don't know if you got a chance to see it. Uh, she's very critical of Donald Trump, but she took the opportunity uh, to say, you know, he's not the first that this just, just didn't happen. And she went back and she was actually very critical of Democrats. She was critical of Clintons and Obama. She was critical of Obama. There's this new movie that's on, I don't know if you've seen it. Uh, it was it had a very profound effect on me. It's called The Report, and it's on uh, Amazon Prime. You can watch it. I haven't heard of it. Uh, well, The Report. Documentary? Uh, it's No, it's a, um, a, a movie. What do they call it when it's not a documentary? A movie. A movie. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's correct. <laughs> Thank you, Bob Mueller. Uh, <laughs> okay, it's a movie. But documentaries are movies, too. A feature film? A feature film. Yeah. It's a feature film that had a brief run in the theaters, but because it's Amazon, you know how they do that? They wanted it to be Oscar yeah. Oliver. Like the Irishman. Yeah, yeah, like the Irishman. Although they're at least, you can still see the Irishman. Can you? I, yeah. Uh, it's at uh, what I call a smart people theater in Chicago, which is that movie theater in the corner of... Um, Clark Street yeah. and diversity. I call it the Smart People Theater because they show independent movies. You got to be really smart to appreciate them. They make you take the SAT to get in there. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, so the report uh, talks about, is is based on a true story of a Senate investigator who's looking into allegations that uh, the United States was torturing prisoners that it captured uh, in the war in, in Iraq and Afghanistan at various sites around uh, the world and. He uncovered multiple evidence of torture going on uh, and the United States covering up and lying about it. And so he prepared this massive report and Obama, the Obama administration, this is during, he prepared the report about what went down in the Bush years yeah. during the Obama years. And they didn't want, they were either redacted the hell out of it or didn't want it published because they didn't want to look uh, unfairly partisan. God. I know. You know, I mean, I, I, I on so many levels. Yeah, I just read. I'm in a book club, and I just read the Edward Snowden book, mm-hmm. which I didn't really want to read, I have to say. And I don't know that I enjoyed it much, but I came away with a better understanding of him, obviously, having read his book. But that's another case where the Obama administration didn't really. I mean, they they got you know he they he. I think there was a who's my friend was telling me in the book club that Susan Rice just said something to the effect of, well, you know, Edward Snowden, he went to Russia afterwards and who knows what information he's why he went to Russia, what they what information he's given him. But if you read the book, you realize that the reason why he went to Russia, according to him, which Mm -hmm. I no reason not to believe him, is that he was going to go to Ecuador. But once he got to Russia, which is the only way he could get there for various reasons, uh, the United States which Susan Rice was working under Secretary Kerry, revoked his passport. Mm-hmm. So he couldn't. He, he was stuck in Russia. So, like, there's so many things that are disingenuous about any administration, yeah. I guess, is what you learn. You get more and more cynical as you, as you go on. Well, my problem, and I, I'm using you as, uh, you know, my, my, my therapist here, I've been confronting this more and more. I've been uh, spending a lot of time reading and thinking about the Obama years, and I was so jubilant when he was elected in 20, uh, 2008 for many reasons, uh, and some of them personal. And and I'm, my focus is Chicago, so I really wasn't paying close attention to how he was running uh, the country. And on top of that, I had this instinctive reaction against the people who were protesting him because I found them so obnoxious, right. the Tea Party, et cetera, and so forth, that I overlooked a lot of these things, and or did it, I didn't absorb them. Um, so just think about that, the, the lesson that's uh, portrayed in the, the, um, the movie, The Report. He didn't want the report about torture that took place under George Bush released because he didn't want to look too partisan. This is at the time, Mark, where he was like year five of his presidency, where there had been unyielding Republican attack on him from every direction, including denying that he was a legitimate American citizen and right. was therefore ineligible. And he was still too worried about looking partisan. But you could argue, and this was this is what, you could argue to his credit that he was trying to 
and everybody gets on him because he, A, it didn't work and it was never going to work. He was trying to be above it, right? He was trying to say we can come together as a country. He was trying to do what everybody gets on the Democrats for doing, which is to not play hardball the way the Republicans do, right? He was trying to say we're one country. That would be the best way to defend that. Right. I mean, that's what one reason why when he first got elected, the idea was we're not going to prosecute anybody from the Bush administration. We're not going to go after Cheney. We're not going to go again after the weapons of mass destruction lie. We're not going to do any of that. Mm-hmm. On the other on the whole, you know what I compare it to for me? Like I compare it to Kennedy and my father, like my father grew up in Boston. He was from, lived in Boston. Kennedy was from Boston. I live in Chicago. Obama's from Chicago. And Kennedy was his ideal of what a president should be and is and he inspired my father and as the years go along more and more things came out after his death about wow kennedy believed that kennedy did that kennedy was involved in the vietnam war that way like all of these things and that you still can never i don't know a my dad and me i guess with obama gets gets more realistic about it all on the other hand, you never lose that sense of jubilation that you talked about. I don't think I don't think I ever will about Obama. And and lastly, I think, you know, it's a hard job. Like it's easy to sit here behind this microphone. Not that easy, but <laughs> but much easier than being president. Yeah. Right. So. I, I don't know. I mean, I I'm, I I listen to everything you say. Absorbed it. I could. There's a uh, there's a uh, uh, practice that you do. Uh, when you're in, you're trying to do resolution, you're having conflict with someone, yeah. uh, where before you're allowed to speak what's on your mind, you have to repeat what the person said. What okay. a boring radio show that would be. <laughs> Mark says it, oh, well, just to prove that I listened and really did hear what you say, I'm going to repeat everything you said. Yeah. So I heard what you said. And I'm sitting Twice here. the length of any other radio show. <laughs> And then do I have to repeat what you say? Yes, because that's the whole point. And then you repeat back what yeah, I yeah, just said, repeating yeah. what you said. Yeah, it would be a, there would be a, it would be a long show, but there'd not be a lot, a lot of topics covered in no, the show. No, one top, one sentence, <laughs> one repeated sentence. over and over again. But we'd finally come to some. All right. Well, thank you for being in the show. Uh, but at some point, I, I'm, I'm gonna let's look at it this way. He's he I understand that Barack Obama's career was launched uh, by a speech in 2004 where he said there is no blue America. There is no red America. And that was the theme that he followed all the way to the presidency. I understand that. Right. Uh, And I understand that as he was leaving office in the weeks before he left office, his wife was still saying things like when they go low, we go high. In other words, that you can win and be successful in American politics by appealing to what's good. Our better angels. Our better angels. And then I look what happened. And I and this gets back to the issue: was the last is, was this decade yeah. uh, improvement? Everything that Obama professed to believe in, the United States of America basically said, "We don't believe in it. We would rather support a lying." raping, uh, allegedly, I should throw that out there, uh, president who openly uh, plays on our worst prejudices, pits one America against the other America, 
and we and has no restraint whatsoever about how he assails anybody. A 16-year-old uh, activist, he's gonna just rip her on Twitter yeah. like he would rip, and and he was victorious. He inherited the job that the man who said there's no blue America and no red America right. won. I have to put when I look at that as objectively as I can, Mark. I have to say. We're not better off now than we were at the start of the decade, but maybe what Obama was saying was not true, and we bought into a a lie, and the Republicans just exploited that to their benefit. Yeah, I'd agree with everything you just said, so I don't have to repeat it, right? (laughs) No, (laughs) just saying I agree with you, and you don't have to repeat. (laughs) No, I do agree with you. I mean... I mean, it's it's a tricky one because obviously only forty percent side with the current occupant, um, so it's not a majority. It never was a majority. Uh, on the other hand, it doesn't need to be a majority to expose the vast kind of ugliness that exists, or the vast fighting and the vast. I don't know. I mean, on the on the other hand, if you were a um, even if you're not, but if let's say you were a, a gay woman or you were a trans man, like it's probably better in 2000 and I can't, I obviously, I can't speak for, for somebody who I'm not, but it's, it's probably better. There's probably more people who understand what you go through or what your life is. And there's more stories told about, I mean, there's, there's things that we've, there's ways that we've made progress in the past decade. Um, and then there's been a backlash, right, as well. And there's a lot of ugliness out there too. So there's more voices heard. I mean, social media gets the worst rap of, of anything and probably should. On the other hand, Part of that's probably from people screaming that they no longer are the only ones that are allowed to have a have a voice, mm-hmm. right? So, by the way, when you uh, when you were talking about how maybe better today uh, for trans people, what have you, I, I had a flashback as soon as you said that a moment, and this sticks with me. Where Joe Biden at the uh, vice presidential debate of two thousand and eight, I urge everybody to check it out. You can find it on YouTube. Uh, there was a question about uh, whether the the candidates he was debating Sarah Palin, whether the candidates would be endorsing uh, gay marriage, a, a law that would uh, 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 make gay marriage legal, federal law that would yeah. make it legal, and uh, the Democrats were very. This is this is so typical Democrat. The Democrats were very worried about swing voters in like Ohio or suburban Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and uh, so. Hallmark Channel Watchers? Yes, Hallmark Channel Watchers. Uh, the, the views and opinions of Mark Bazer, those of Mark No, Bazer. did you see the commercial this week? No, what they do? There was a commercial during a Hallmark oh, Channel. I thought you were just generally no, 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 Hallmark. No, 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 I was making a news reference. Oh, I, I missed yeah, this. Yeah, uh, there was a Hallmark <laughs> Channel movie, and there was going to be a commercial with a same, or I don't know if it aired or didn't air, with a same-sex couple, and Hallmark Channel pulled it because they said they didn't want to show, wow. and now they've... After a lot of outcry, they've decided that it's okay. But wow! Yeah. So are we better off that just? But anyway, and so so concerned about swing voters that when the question was uh, posed to Joe Biden, he he begins his answer with a very declarative sentence: uh, "The Obama administration will not support gay marriage." And when you hear it now, thinking about what the world looks like uh, in the Democratic Party. And how universally accepted a gay marriage is in the Democratic Party, and how that's crazy. Unbelie- you know, it's just so jarring. Well, Biden was the one that remember he was the one that said he was for gay marriage before Obama did, and that caused a little bit of a kerfuffle. Yeah, and you know what the cynical me thought? 
That's what they call a trial balloon. Hey, Joe, here's what you're going to do. You go out there and, save, right. and see if you drop that. And if you're still alive, then Barack can say he's for it. But back then, it was it was the assumption, maybe I'm wrong about this, was everybody, or or if you'd asked me or if I'd asked you, we probably would have said, well, we know Obama is fine with gay marriage, but we also know that he can't say it, right? Like, that's the way. I, I mean, did anybody ever think he was actually against gay marriage? I don't know. Well, he said he was. I know, but did you think he meant it? Well, now we're at a problem with politics in general, where people, now we're getting back to my very point. But that's the way he had his cake and and was able to eat Eat it it too, too. right? Because I could vote for him with a clear conscience, thinking that he wasn't a bigot against uh, gay or lesbian couples, and other people who were bigots or didn't believe in same-sex marriage would be like, well, okay, I can vote for him. Here's the deal. He was going to let somebody else do the hard lifting and the hard job of getting gay marriage passed. And that's the... Think about that. In every issue, uh, it was you could make the same argument with uh, immigration. There was that uh, Barack Obama during his administration was, in many ways, same as Trump in terms of re- forcing people to go back uh, to Mexico or Central America, where they came from, uh, not opening up the United States to immigration. He just he wasn't blatantly. Uh, bigoted in his remarks about it. Uh, he just quietly let it go on. I remember Louis Gutierrez, Congressman Gutierrez, fighting Obama, for coming to the hideout show and den- criticizing Obama to Mick and me. So the one thing that Trump does that if you like him, probably feels, I guess, refreshing is that he he just says, he just goes for it, right? And that's where I think that would be the appeal of Bernie Sanders, too, on the other side. Like, Bernie Sanders, who, if you had asked, I think we, I was on the show a few months ago, and you asked me, you know, who I was supporting or whatever, and I hemmed and hawed, and I probably still will <laughs> now. dodged. Right. Which, <laughs> I am ducking and dodging. Which, how, how, this thing's over, right? Um, <laughs> but I was, but I I have to say, and I'm not, I don't know who I'd vote for if I, if you said, Mark, you have the choice of who the next president will be. It has to be one of these four people who somehow has broken through. I, I don't know who I I honestly don't know who would I choose, but I. But when I was on last time, I think I had a negative view of Bernie Sanders, and over the last couple of months, I've totally changed my mind on well, that. Well, all right, let's uh, uh, let's get to that because you mentioned that to me when we were before we were on. You were, we were in passing. You mentioned that. Let's talk about that a little bit. What is it uh, that? Oh, no, let me just finish my one thought before we get to this one, and that is that when I look back at Barack Obama. Uh, and his career that led to the White House. I believe that he was sending a message to activists uh, in the Democratic Party that um, I am not going to join you in a public uh, display for what you believe in because it'd be detrimental to my political career. So you're just going to have to uh, do the hard work to get this passed. And if the time comes when it's politically feasible for me to sign on to it, I will. And the difference between Democrats and Republicans in that re- respect is that Republicans openly support their base on pretty much whatever their base wants. So, for instance, an abortion issue, the anti-abortion base of the Republican Party has driven out absolutely Anybody who supports abortion rights from the Republican Party, or pretty much anybody who supports abortion rights, on tax issues, the uh, the 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 force the 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 portion of the Republican Party that's against any form of taxation, pretty much, or any or progressive taxation, is taken over. So, 
Do you follow what I'm saying? Yeah, but Obama is still, I mean, this is not what you're saying, but Obama is still the best president of my lifetime. I wrote that once for myself, uh, that Obama was the best president of my lifetime, which is even a longer lifetime than you have. And I view it as when I was paying attention. So here are the candidates you have. Think yep. about this. Yep. Uh, since you were born in 73, I want to say. I got Nixon, right? The tail end of Nixon? You have the two years of Nixon. You have Gerald Ford. Yeah. You have uh, James Earl Carter. Yeah. Uh, you have Ronald Wilson Reagan. Let's see if we can do all the middle names. <laughs> uh, you have William Jefferson Clinton. Yeah. Uh, you have George W. Bush. Well, you forgot a Bush. Oh, Daddy Bush, George Herbert Walker Bush. How can I forget him? Yeah. Uh, and I'm very impressed. I can do these names, middle names, by, and Barack Hussein Obama. You're not supposed to say Barack Hussein Obama. Well, he said it when he was sworn <laughs> just, in. Just, just, just. Uh, and then you have uh, Donald John Trump. So who would you put? Yeah, it's Obama. Obama's by far and away the best president of that lot. There aren't, the, if you look at all the, my dad and I get into big fights about this because my dad, for some reason, is into presidents. Yeah. <laughs> like he's got the placemat with all the presidents on it. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> could your dad do middle names as well? He probably could, actually. <laughs> he's a nerd like he, me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm like, there's been like three good presidents, right, dad? And he's like, oh, no, no, no. There's been many, many good presidents. How but do you judge a good, you know what, who I would say? I'm going to shock you with this one Gerald R. Ford. You think he's the best president of your, of your lifetime? He was, well, he was president for like three months. Uh, he was president. Let's see if I could do this. He was president from approximately August of 1974 until January of 1976. Yeah, not too long. Yeah. And he was... He pardoned Nixon. There you go. He pardoned Nixon. Yeah. That's all you know about uh, him. And he, and he was actually really athletic and played football for the University of Michigan, maybe? Very good for knowing that. Yeah. yeah but he also stumbled and fumbled a lot. But he couldn't have that much if he was this great he athlete. He just had a bad luck. But let's think yeah. about it this way. The, the low bar is, did the president engage in a war that uh, was completely unnecessary, that had to be lied, that the public had to be lied to to get him to, to sign on to. That, I would say by that measurement, uh, jo Donald John Trump is not as bad as That's uh, what George people Bush. Say. There's also these revelations, though, about that have just come out right about Afghanistan, that all the administrations yes. were yes. covering up Including things. Obama. That's right. And it goes back to Maureen Dowd's point. Yeah. She pointed, not just with the movie the report, which she had seen as well, where they, again, they covered up evidence of torture because they didn't want to alienate Republicans who were already openly fighting Obama. God, like, we should talk about good things. <laughs> things we like. Okay. Uh, wait, but, all right, let's talk about good things. You say you've changed your mind about Bernie Sanders. Yeah, I think I had this, um, this I had two, three notions about Bernie Sanders that were negative. Mm-hmm. Um, the first was, for some reason, I had it in my mind that he was humorless. And then I saw some things where he was joking around. I was like, oh, wait a minute. He's an old Jew from Brooklyn or, you know, Queens or wherever New York he is. Of course Brooklyn. He's, yeah, of course he's got, he's got a sense of humor. Um, I, I went to the same high school as Larry David, but don't quote me on that. And then and Larry David plays. Yeah. Um, and then the second thing, I, and I don't, I feel like you need to have a sense of humor about things or about yourself not that that's probably the primary qualification for president but it was something that bothered me and then i saw that it actually wasn't true he always seemed to be yelling at me on the screen right <laughs> yeah. um uh and, and the second thing i um that bothered me was i guess the narrative whether it's true or not that was of 
Bernie Bros, which were that there was some, and I, and I don't know. I mean, I I'd have to. I know there are legitimate. Com, there seems to be legitimate complaints, not about him, but about people either on his staff or supporters of him, who who were sexist or who who women who were involved in Democratic politics don't feel comfortable with the Bernie Sanders phenomenon or that men like me maybe would say, well, why would I, and I don't, I don't know who I prefer more, but that I would prefer Bernie over, let's say Elizabeth Warren. And why would I do that? Um, And I think that's, that's, that's fair. And the third thing is, and I don't know whether this is um, something that I've resolved, which is that Bernie seems like, like a kind of demagogish, like, or that he wouldn't be able to compromise or that he wouldn't be able to work with people. But there's a part of me that's like, screw it. Screw it. Who cares? That's not the way things get done anymore. That's not the way maybe things ever really got done. Maybe there was a time when the parties were much closer together and everybody went out for steak and drinks and probably strip clubs because they're all men back in the day (laughs) and they all. Yeah. Right. Um, And then I was listening to the Daily podcast, New York Times podcast, Mm -hmm. where they did an interview with Bernie. But what was more interesting was that they went back into his history of... Uh, his politics in Vermont and his career in Vermont, and it was fascinating. And what what's what's so admirable about him, and what I can see why people love him, is that he's been unwavering. Like he has stood for the same things. He is not somebody who's saying, "Oh, I'm only going to say this when the political winds let me say it," yeah. or "I'm only going to say this because I think it can get me some votes." And you know, Warren does it too. Like first she comes out for Medicare for all, and then she kind of peels it back, and that's politics. But on the other hand. We seem to be in this weirdly post-politics age where somebody like Trump can win. And so then you have Bernie. And Bernie, the, what was fascinating about the story that they what, that they told and that he told was that when he was first elected mayor in, in Burlington, mm-hmm. it was by like 16 votes or something mm-hmm. crazy Very like close, that, right? Yeah. And the Democratic, I mean, it's Burlington, Vermont, so they're mostly Democrats. And the, the, the it was kind of like Chicago in a way, like the council kind of like Harold Washington, like the council just hated him. Mm. They wanted nothing to do with him. And so he was supposed to appoint a number of people, but they had to just help him in his office, whatever those positions are. And those had to be approved by the council. And the council's like, well, we're not going to approve anybody. We're going to let you sink in the first year. And then at the end of the first year, there's going to be a midterm election for people on the council. And then at the end of the second year, you'll be up for election again. There's no way you're going to win. And Bernie got people to just volunteer. I mean, he had he had the previous administration's people still in office mm-hmm. in those positions, but they didn't want to work with him. So he got people to volunteer and help him and help him with his cause. And they went out and they did the same kind of thing you see with his campaign. They did tons of grassroots things. And at the end of the first year, the people who had opposed him, they got their clocks cleaned in the elections. And from there, it was all, it was Bernie's ascent in Vermont politics, which clearly isn't United States politics. But there was just something really admirable about that. And I don't know. I mean, I, it would be hard, no matter what you believe, to not admire his perseverance, his commitment to his ideals. Um, you know, clearly the issues that, I mean, you see it with Brexit, right? You see, if you're, if you're going to look at what happened in England or in Britain last week as a harbinger of what could happen in the United States, mm-hmm. like these people, we've been reading about this for years, who once voted Labour and now are voting not labor voting conservative and it's because the labor party the democratic party has obviously not paid attention to a lot of people and that comes down to inequality and problems of wealth and that's been bernie's fight all along 
So here I am giving this big stump speech for Bernie. Yeah. I, I don't even. But, but on the other hand, I'm yeah. so wishy. I'm, such, I'm a talk show host. I have no real opinions of my own. That there's part of me that thinks. Well, you do have opinions, or you just don't want to express them. Well, I don't even know though. But then there's a part of me that's like, I don't understand. On the flip side, I don't understand all the hate that's going against Buttigieg right now. I think it's ridiculous. Oh my God, where do we start? <laughs> you think it's fair? Well, hate is not fair in any way. Uh, so I, I, when you said the word hate, I thought you were using it in a metaphorical, uh, most metaphorical uh, meaning. The Ramada, Hussein is regular on every Ramada uh, run out every Friday, is always teasing me because she's always trying to get me to, she goes, Ben, admit you hate Mayor Rahm. And I'm like, I don't hate Mayor Rahm. I don't hate, know Mayor You hate Rahm. <laughs> what are you talking about? I don't hate <laughs> she's always like, admit you hate him. So then we, I go, who do you hate? All right. Yeah. This, yeah. And so she is admitted. On this show, in that very chair where you're sitting, that she hates Donald John Trump for all the obvious reasons. Right. He's so blatantly uh, bigoted and prejudiced against Muslims. Right. So uh, I can read. So she got me under fierce cross examination from Ramon Hussein, who should have been a lawyer, to admit that I hate Hitler. Okay. <laughs> Well, there's taking a stand. Yeah. Are you sure that could, I mean, could you, as an objective reporter, say you hate Hitler? Yeah, I know. Uh, so I admit it, I hate Hitler. So she goes, okay, you hate Hitler, so you must hate Rom. I'm like, there's wait, 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 a What even if you huge, hate Hitler, you hate Rom? Yeah, I know, but there's a, a huge difference between Rom and Hitler. That's what I'm trying to point out. Yeah. So if hate symbolizes the worst feelings you have about the right. worst people in the world. Right. It kind of diminishes it to say you classify wrong. Yeah, because my like, mom would always say hate's pretty close to love or something like that. <laughs> like, I don't know. Mom is wise. Yeah. I forget where we're going with this. I don't know. I was just saying I don't understand. <laughs> uh, if I can come to the point where I don't understand the I don't I mean I get that there's going to be democratic infighting, oh. but I'm like Cory Booker where I'm just like, "Can't we all just get along up here?" <laughs> Uh, no, so yeah, here's here's where we were, where I was going with this. Um, Bernie Sanders, he his, could win. That's the other thing I've come around to. Well, I that, think he could win. Uh, okay, yes, and so 2016, uh, as long as we're confessing, 2016, I voted for Bernie Sanders, and I, I voted for Bernie Sanders in the face of relentless counterattacks from fellow boomers. And people, oh, the next generation, uh, beyond boomers, the silent one, and uh, uh, the greatest generation, all to a T were telling me he can't possibly win because the world that they grew up in, the world that governs the the Obamas of the world and the Clintons of the world and the Roms of the world, is that anybody who's left will lose. Yeah, they and I'll add to that also the Jewish factor. My dad, I'm Jewish, you're yeah. Jewish, right? My dad is like, well, there's no way is this country ever going to elect a Jew. Yeah, like which which is okay. That's that's another. Th I that. I don't know which was worse, the fact that he was a lefty, the fact that he was Jewish, uh, the fact that he, he was old, he looked weird, he didn't look like a conventional politician. And then I remember there was an article, I think it was in Slate, they said the Republicans— you should see their op file on Bernie Sanders. It's got pictures of him in the Soviet Union, pictures well, of him. Well, he's got the Nicaragua thing, right? Nicaragua yeah. support. He, without a shirt, I remember this, like, there's a shirtless picture of <laughs> Bernie Sanders shirtless. You know, like, he'll never win, okay? So all the boomers are telling me that. And on the other hand, I'm like, this guy is expressing everything I've dedicated my career to. I cannot not vote for him. I right. must vote for him. And so I voted for him. Uh, and in, 
but I didn't have that antipathy that so many of his supporters had toward the mainstream of the Democratic Party. Uh, and that's what I think you're getting at. I think that people, a lot of people turn against Bernie because they could not stand Heidi Henry who comes on the show has said this the Bernie bros were so nasty in their response to anybody that d didn't agree with Bernie so that they uh, uh, turned against Bernie uh, they held it against ben, Bernie I don't I, I obviously Biden who is still from what I can tell the front runner um, you know when you hear him speak you get nervous right every I mean that's the that's you're like oh what is he going to say he's going to screw it up he's going to screw it up he's, even if you don't like him you're afraid that he's going to screw it up but i don't understand the the hate on the left for him i don't I, I i understand that you don't agree with him about everything i also think that everything you could defend about him things that he was saying 40 years ago were I mean, Biden, if anything, strikes me as just going with what the flow is, what people were saying at the time. So when there was that big fight about Kamala Harris and and she was attacking, this is way back, she was attacking him for criminal justice reform. Well, what he was arguing back then was very well actually within the mainstream of what African-Americans were arguing for in terms of criminal justice. He was just going along. Well, no, she was hitting him hard on busing. busing. Right. Criminal justice, she was vulnerable on criminal justice. She was. And she that's was where Tulsi Gabber went at her and probably knocked her out of the race. But yes, but his, had to do his, with busing. There were, I mean, I don't know. I think it was much more complicated than that That. Biden was a reactionary back then in matters of anything. He wasn't. He wasn't. Listen, if you look man, back, he wasn't. I, you're you're talking to the wrong guy. As well, I, I knew that a going hard carrying lefty, and I get to, Dennis can tell you. Uh, I say this on the show all the time, and then we're doing the live stream. They all come and Ben, what are you? I've watched Joe Biden's pretty much entire career, and I've always just gotten such a kick out of the guy. He's such a character. I don't. He is the quintessential go-along liberal Democrat. That's what I'm saying. Yes, yeah. the wind's blowing. Which way is it going? And uh, like Donald, like you said about Barack Obama, you had this sense that even though Barack Obama said he was against gay marriage, that he was really for gay marriage, but he was just too practical and pragmatic uh, to take the strong stance. So he was going to let everybody else do the hard work of making it happen, and then he was going to sign the bill and be a hero, which is everything, in my humble opinion, that's wrong with the Democratic Party. Uh, they don't believe in anything, and so as a result, it takes forever to get anything done. And so I have that general attitude about Joe Biden. That said, if it's between Joe Biden and Donald Trump, are you kidding me? I got news for you. If it's between Joe Biden and any one of those Republicans who are on stage with, I don't know if you remember the debates from 2015 when uh, Donald Trump or Mario Rubio. So I think those debates should be required viewing in high school classes. I really do. I think my son's in high school now. I think that if you want to see where the wheels fell off of American democracy or the Republican Party or whatever you want to say, watch those debates. Yeah. It's incredible. If you had a, uh, if you just read the transcript and you went and said, what did Trump say? I know. He didn't say anything of any, he just said, make America great and then insulted other people's, you know, body parts or yeah. whatever. Like, I mean, it was, it, it's actually an incredible, it changed what a debate is. So based on that, I'm going to say something positive about that debate. Coming out of that, the the notion in 2016, the governing pr principle of many Democrats, including liberal Democrats who maybe agreed more with Bernie than with Hillary, was that Bernie was unelectable because he was too left, because he was Jewish, because he looked weird, because he had supported Nicaragua and the whatever. Add it all together, he was unelectable. No way this country is going to elect him. 
Then the country turned around and elected Donald John Trump. Yeah. All conventions of electability have to, are out the window now. Yeah. Donald John Trump is a more offensive president than Bernie Sanders on his worst day. So if a Democrat still, to this point, can't support Bernie Sanders, it's because he or she opposes Bernie, what Bernie Stan- Sanders stands for, and is he, she, she is just using electability as a cloak issue to cover up the fact that they want the inequities that exist in our country to remain the same. Yeah. I mean, my guess is if Bernie were to get the nomination, that there would be very few people who would not vote because of that. I, I mean, there might be people who traditionally don't vote and that you're that don't vote, but people who vote all the time, I mean, I would have to admit in your humble opinion. Yeah. That's my humble in opinion. the voting booth where no one can see. Yeah. It's Bernie Sanders versus Don Donald Trump. Who will Rahm Emanuel vote for? Oh, Bernie Sanders. Absolutely. But I know you hate Rom. <laughs> <laughs> Who would Hitler vote for? <laughs> Who would Hitler? Let's see, the German Strumpf or the Jewish guy from Vermont? I wonder who. You have to ask yourself at all uh, times, who would Hitler vote who would for? H- what would Hitler do? <laughs> what would Hitler? By the way, uh, we were talking all this political stuff. We haven't done anything remotely art cultural like, yeah. which so much of the interview It was show, a good year. It was a good year. Have you seen Jojo Rabbit? <laughs> no, I've never even heard of it. Did I get the name right? Yeah. You've not heard of it? No. Young Dennis extol its virtues to this young man. There's so much out there. It's a great movie. Great flick. Jojo Rabbit? Jo- okay, here's the premise of Jojo Rabbit. Yeah. Uh, I urge you to watch it. It's one of my favorite movies of the year. It's in my, definitely my top five. Uh, the premise is that there's a little boy in Germany at the end of World War II, and he has a fantasy friend who is Adolf Hitler. Okay. Now, that is so offensive on so many levels yeah. as a concept that many people who saw the preview said, there's no way I'm going to see the movie. Yeah. Uh, I saw the movie at the urging of young Dennis over there. And it's and at like the tail end of World War II. It's at the very tail end of World War II. It is one of the most effective anti-war movies I've seen since like Slaughterhouse-Five. Oh, man. It's a, I just love the movie in so many ways. Uh, but it was funny. We, we're talking about it uh, because of Hitler. Hitler's in the movie. Playing um, himself? Yeah. Well, can't, can't be over for He's come back from the grave. Uh, there's an the, the director of the movie plays Hitler, as a matter of fact. Anyway. Uh, uh, All right. I'm a, I, will, I, will, I will watch it. I was going to ask you what you thought of it. So what are your three... Uh, your, your three top movies of 2019, moving away from politics. What are the three, three movies? movies. God, you... I, did I see three movies? Oh, um, my God. I have, I have a little... You're the, I, the host of the interview no, show. I, I, no, I'm just, <laughs> I, my favorite movie by far is Parasite. I, I just thought it was... Um, I liked the movie Us, but it was kind of what I thought uh, Us wanted to be in some ways. Just a great... Just such a movie about the... Obviously about the haves and the mm-hmm. haves nots, but also... Um, super surprising and f- both scary and heartfelt and funny. Um, the acting. Uh, you talk about Parasite. Parasite, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, the story of, of a, f- a family that literally lives underground mm-hmm. in South Korea and um, cons a rich family into working for them in, all, in, in various capacities and, and then craziness breaks out. Um, it was just beautifully everything. Everything about it was good. I would. I was so excited while watching it. Like mm-hmm. that's such a rare thing to just 
be even when it's getting scary or sad just to be enjoying it just being like here i am watching this amazing movie i'm so lucky to be doing that i'm with you 100 percent. i loved that movie and the one thing i'd say uh, to listeners out there uh it's got subtitles and you you don't you forget about them though right I, I, listen i'm now i've reached that stage of development where when i'm watching a movie at home i put the subtitles on because of oh yeah yeah i'm, yeah. I'm better with the the train goes by oh, if it's in like it. if it's in like if, the, if it's a british movie yeah subtitles immediately yeah. yeah that's a that's a good point um i know this is up your alley i love the tarantino oh. i thought it was great love 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 <laughs> i thought it was great um seen it three times have you really i just i mean that's a movie that was uh, to to contrast it with a very, obviously with very different parasite parasite i'm on the edge of my seat mm-hmm. um with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I just kind of sat back and let Tarantino take care of me, kind of. It was just this, even though there was some elements of, you know, anxiety, it was a very relaxing kind of movie to watch in a weird way, even though it was about the creepy dark side now of the Now, let me ask you 60s. this, and I'm not being facetious when I ask this question. When you went and saw Once Upon a Time in America, did you know the story? Hollywood. What did I say? Yeah. God, I do that all the time. Yes, he man. does. I do it. He knows it because he hears me do it all the time. It's all that reefer in the 70s, man. It just hits me. <laughs> Another good worst. movie. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Thank you, Dennis. Uh, when you saw it, did you know the story of Charles Manson? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Whenever I recommend the movie to somebody who's of the younger persuasion, I make a point of saying, there's just a historical fact that I want to tell you about. You cannot appreciate this movie unless you know. And then I'll say, do you know the story of Charles Manson? You'd be surprised how many people don't know the story of Charles really? Manson. Yeah. Or they say, yes, they know. And then I do a little quizzing and I realize they don't really know it. This is something else. Have you ever noticed this, that people will say they're embarrassed not to know something? They'll, they'll say they know something when they don't really notice yeah, it. Yeah, I, I don't know the story of Charles Manson. <laughs> <laughs> I caught you. I do. I do. Uh, did you know the story of Charles Manson? Yeah. But you still haven't seen the movie. No, I haven't seen that movie. No. Just remember, when you see the movie, the Char- actually we did a uh, we had four geeks, movie geeks in this very room. Yeah. Uh, we do this from time to time, and we did this just open love fest to Tarantino once upon a time in Hollywood, uh, and I started off with uh, you know the the warning. We're just. We're going to give away the plot and everything like this. And then we just went crazy on the story and this and that and the other thing. Uh, and uh, you, you, I don't want to say anything, even though I did it that one time. I'm assuming there are people, maybe people out there, let's say, haven't seen the movie. So we just need to know the story of Charles Manson. So that, that's two movies. This is what third. else came out? What else? Give me a list. Give me some. I'll tell you my favorite TV show. Go. Lodge 49. Um, I had, and, and I came to the show because I had a, a guest on my show who's going David Pasquazi actor who is who you might people might know for as being the ex-husband of Selena Meyer on uh, HBO's Veep um, and then he played a role in this show called Lodge 49 which has been on was on AMC for two seasons mm-hmm. and unfortunately it was it's been canceled it's 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 done and in fact today the show runner uh, tweeted out that they're not even they were trying to find a second home another home for it and they couldn't but this is a show that you can obviously still go back and watch, and it's worth watching the first two seasons, even though it's not going on anymore. And it's about a group of people who congregate at a at a Lynx lodge. Lynx is kind of it's a, it's kind of like the Elks Club or something like that. And it takes place in Long Beach, California, and it's just a 
there's a mystery behind it that more or less doesn't matter. Um, but it's it's about a group of characters who are living kind of paycheck to paycheck, kind of on the outskirts of society, that are thwarted by, in various ways, by the corporatization, the gentrification, bunch of other things in in America, in Long Beach, for example, the main um, place of employment's gone, and now there's a lot of people trying to pick up the pieces, and they find each other, and they find themselves, I guess, to be cliche about it, at at this lodge, and it's just, it's 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 this weird mix of really like quirky humor and times, and it's just downright sad. Um, and then there's just this weird mystery that kind of keeps you engaged and it keeps you asking the question, are these characters deluding themselves? And is that okay if you delude mm-hmm. yourselves, if that brings you some degree of peace and happiness? And it's brilliant. The show is, it's legitimately brilliant. And it, it's what's kind of depressing about it is that it made a number of top 10 list this year mm-hmm. and last year and and yet it just get canceled it got canceled it couldn't find an audience it's just but, really uh and where what network was it on did you amc say? See, i don't have that and i think you can also watch repeats on ifc i don't know if there's a connection with those two from like corporate partners you probably can also and i'm uh, take the dvd ad library uh yes uh, i was just gonna say order it from netflix dvd over the mail yeah you, you definitely you, could you know two people in your there's two people in your life who still do that name them <laughs> I do know people who do that. Is, oh, are, yeah, yeah, I do know two. I, I know people who do that. Is Mick one of them? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and me. You are too. <laughs> uh, but I know a couple others, and it's like, yeah. my problem is I just never, I always forgot to put it in the mailbox. Yeah, no, I have you, a problem you, mailing things. Yeah, mailing. It's a, it's a whole uh, old concept. All right. Yeah. Uh, so before we walk out the door, I, I, I need you to uh, entertain our listeners with your thoughts on uh, the book. The bear season that just ended. Uh, yeah, it did just end, didn't it? It just ended. The bears were absolutely dreadful. Uh, but you said something uh, provocative for a guy who lives in Chicago before yeah. the show began about your attitude to, toward Chicago and its sports. Go well, ahead. Well, I'm from, I grew up in Boston, which has now become a reviled sports town because of success, obviously. Which it's now become, as though that hasn't been the case for 30 years? No. I mean, when I was growing up, the Patriots were. Bad. The Red Sox hadn't won in a thousand years. The Celtics were great, but nobody really, I don't think people hated the Celtics. Oh my God. You think they did? Oh. No, 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 they didn't. <laughs> yes, they did. They hated the Celtics? Oh, yes, you're looking at someone who hates the Celtics. It's not, it, wait, did you, hate the, did you like the Lakers more? Wait, hold on. I don't hate anything. Okay. <laughs> Just Rom. Hitler. Who'd you hate more? <laughs> who? Rom or the Celtics? I will never admit <laughs> that I hate Rom. I can't stand the Celtics. There's just something about... I did root for the Celtics for that when um, uh, Doc Rivers was the coach and Kevin Garnett was on the team and they were playing the Lakers because I really couldn't stand uh, the Phil Jackson, Kobe Bryant Lakers. I just thought they were so arrogant. Uh, so Even came, though Phil was the, the, the coach. Interesting. You didn't have an allegiance to Phil? No. Yeah. I mean, I like Phil Jackson. I appreciate what he did for the, my beloved Chicago Bulls. Yeah. But did that not carry over to the Lakers? I mean, yeah. it ended there, you know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I did not root for, this is going to be sacrilege. They're going to kick me out of Chicago. When Michael Jeffrey Jordan left the retired and then came back to play for the Washington Wizards, I didn't become a Wizards fan. No. I was hurt. I mean, Nobody did. You? Nobody did, though. 
I don't, there's no Wizards. Are there Wizards fans in D.C.? I, I have a dear friend, Kevin. I know you're listening, who loves the Wizards. Anyway, um, but uh, so uh, go back to what you're saying. So Yeah, so I right. have a complex relationship with Chicago sports because I keep wanting to <laughs> embrace Chicago sports. But the, the problem is, and this would be me getting onto a, you know, getting onto a bandwagon, I guess. But there's, it's there. I said to my kids, I said, listen. You can root. For, you were growing up in Chicago. You should root for Chicago sports. But you'd be an idiot not to root for the Patriots with me. You'd be an idiot not to root for the Red Sox with me. And then you know I was. And then so we decided we're gonna like we're gonna like the Bulls. And the Bulls have just been such a disaster <laughs> since I said that. Yeah. Thanks. Oh, it's yeah, your fault. It's my fault. Uh, like I'm like the Bulls might be pretty good in the next few years. How old are your kids? I got one who's 14 who will do whatever I say in terms of rooting, wow. and then I've got one who's nine who will do the exact opposite. So are both of they are both of them rooting for the Bulls? Well, you know, the, neither of them care. Okay. I guess is what the Bulls are such a not care about. Like, well, I, don't right? say that because we do a podcast here uh, about the Bulls. I care which... about the Bulls podcast. <laughs> In fact, we'll be. I'd rather listen to a Bulls podcast than, than watch, watch a Bulls, Bulls game. We'll be doing a, a show Thursday, right? Uh, Joe Colley from the Sun Times will be on. So, so here's anyway. my thing about the Bears, which, which, and I'll just tell you, I, I, I take a perverse. I root for the Bears. They're my second favorite team, except for In football. Yeah. Except for I take a perverse pleasure when they lose. And the reason is the city is so entertaining when they lose. And so I hope this story doesn't get my friend in trouble. But um, Jimmy Greenfield Uh is a friend of mine. He covers the Blackhawks for the the Tribune. Mm -hmm. And he used to tweet these just just absolutely negative things about the bears every time they lost. And I thought it was the funniest thing in the world. And I would just, I would egg them on. I'd try to be like, Hey, you got to keep tweeting. And these are great. You know? And it would just be, you know, the stuff people like everybody, when Trubitsky would have a bad game, yeah. it's like the whole town is, yeah. is, you know, going through conniptions. It's amazing. And then he was, I was like, I can't wait for this season. I th- I'm ready for your tweets. And he was like, well, I don't know. I'm, I don't know if I'm going to do it anymore. You know, I'm, I'm covering the Blackhawks for the Tribune. I probably shouldn't. The first game that the Bears lose, he's back at it. <laughs> I can't say like, no. I can't help him. He's calmed down. But, but I don't know. To me, there's just something, um, you know, if, I had my, if, you, if you said, would you rather have the Bears win a Super Bowl and everybody will be happy, I'd say yes. But I will admit that... There's it's it's more fun for me as not a Bears fan when they when they lose and maybe it has something to do with the when they when they I mean years ago and the Patriots have certainly gotten their revenge in the world of national football yeah the Bears but beat them the Bears in the Super Bowl you even, yeah you were uh, six yeah I was I was it was I was thir- twelve years old it was a big year for me oh, my bad you're twelve yeah it was a big sports sports we had a, I had a T-shirt that said uh, Barry the Bears with <laughs> Barry spelled as like Coach. Barry oh, from yeah. the from Raymond Barry. Very yeah. good. Very yeah. clever. Uh, well, I have to tell you, I get a kick out of your story there about the Bears. We have a lot of fun with this. Uh, we, we do this show from the Sun-Times, and the Sun-Times was very much on the bandwagon of the Bears when the season started. They had a bear party. Remember that, D? And there was just wild, uproarious laughter. They're having the greatest time in the world. This was right before, they called it a tailgate party, right before the opening game. Uh, Thursday night against the Packers in Chicago, they 
laid the biggest stink bomb yeah. in probably, I would say, and I've been following Chicago sports for a long time, that may have been the most disappointing game in the history of Chicago sports because never had there been a game with so much anticipation and never had people been so sure that their beloved Bears were going to go far and they just stunk. And that's funny. Yeah, it's kind of hard for me. I'm a it's lifelong funny. Chicago Bears fan. Uh, that said, I just made a declaration. I was going to watch them this year, and I you stuck much, to it. I stuck to it, except for a couple times at the bowling alley, and it was on TV. But yeah, I did not um, partake in the Bears this year. I can't uh, believe there's a hideout bowling team. I want to. I want. I want some <laughs> Yes, my bowling team, the hideout. We're sponsored by that. We got beautiful new shirts from the hideout. Um, anyway, all right, Mark Bazer, uh, I don't think they're going to run you out of town because uh, you do too good a job, even though you uh, take delight at the Bears losing. One more time, tell folks about the, your show, where they can see it, uh, when the next episode will be, all yeah. that good stuff. Well, first of all, I just want to say what a pleasure it was to be bonus content. <laughs> Um, <laughs> bonus on the bonus uh, content on the Ben Jarofsky show. Um, do you put this up? Do you put up the bonus content? No, or is it just, just for me to just, yeah, Mark was on. Yeah, just, you told Mark he'd be on. Yeah. <laughs> Quick, Dennis, burn that tape. Yeah. No, when uh, is this going to, uh, uh, this is called podcast word, so I don't want to confuse you. When is this going to drop? <laughs> Saturday. Saturday. Oh, yeah, I need to do it Friday evening, just to just completely, um, uh, yeah, so I host the show. It's going to be on TV, on TTW, 8.30 on Fridays, starting January 3rd. Our first episode, speaking of things that are better about this decade, is an interview with this woman named Abby McEnany, who's the star and co-creator of a show on Showtime called mm-hmm. Work in Progress. And uh, it takes it's, it's, it's a wonderful look at, the, at her life and, and at a time in Chicago where being... Um, gay or queer or lesbian or whatever is just a much better time than it was back when she came of age here in the 90s. Uh, And then we have a live show, which we'll also be taping uh, for the TV on January 10th at The Hideout. And uh, we'll make sure to introduce ourselves as First Tuesdays. Uh, yeah, please do. Uh, a little revenge. So January 10th, uh, are there tickets available? Yeah. How does that work? Every ticket is available at this point. I don't think we've, we haven't put it up yet, but we're going to put it up. We'll put, maybe we, we'll put it up by Saturday. So okay. while well, this while well, this thing is uh, dropping, yeah, when this thing drops, the tickets will also drop. Drop. Yeah, the tickets will be available. But the price will not drop. No. All right, Mark Bazer, thank you so much. Thank you. It's the interview show, and this has been another bonus feature on the Ben Jarofsky show. Take care, everybody. <laughs>